You're listening to the New Life Church Podcast, where we are passionate about helping you connect to your God-given purpose. To learn more about New Life Church, including our service times in Canton, Georgia, visit us online at newlifecanton.com. Well, we're beginning a brand new series today called Parables, Snapshots of the Kingdom. I've been out of the pulpit for the last two Sundays, so I'm, I'm just glad to be back in the saddle this morning. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to preach. I love to preach. I normally take a four-week teaching sabbatical every July, but we were in the pandemic, and we were in the middle of a, of a great series, and I didn't want to stop to, uh, to do that, and so I pushed it to September, but instead of four weeks, I cut it down to two, and I don't have to really necessarily tell you all that, but I love to over-communicate because especially for our guests that maybe have been here the last two weeks wondering, is the senior pastor ever going to preach? You see, I am, and I preach a lot, and I love to preach, Um, but I'm excited about this series, and I'm basically going to continue our study in the Gospels that we were doing in the summer called Refocus, and that series wasn't planned. That wasn't on the agenda, and neither is this one. We've adjusted everything this year. Come on, somebody. It's not been been a normal year. I usually lay out my series for the whole year, and all of that went that way. So this series and that series were a response to the time that we are in right now. In other words, look at the screen. The more challenging things become, the more we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. The more challenging things become, the more we need to keep our eyes focused on Christ. The words of Christ, come on, they need to be like food, like spiritual food for our soul right now. His teachings need to permeate our heart, but not just that. They need to be reflected in the way we live, the way we behave, the way we act. You know, it's not enough to just believe. That's not popular preaching right there. Come on, the devil believes. Demons believe. Belief is where we have to start. But it's not enough to just believe. We must trust God in these uncertain times. But not only trust him, we need to obey his instructions. And what better way to get those instructions but from the mouth of Christ himself? Red letters. How many know what I mean when I say red letters? In some of your Bibles, the words of Jesus, the teachings of of Christ are in red. Words of life. Words of instruction. Words of challenge. Words of encouragement. That's what this series is all about. Listen to me. I pray that you engage with this thing. I pray that you're here physically. You're here for the whole thing. That you engage. That you stay aware and and pay attention. That you take notes. The best way to engage in a sermon is to, is, is to pay attention is to take notes. And then this week when you're having your quiet time, because I know you do, reflect on those notes and on the scriptures and use that for your personal time of study. And I believe with everything in me, if you'll do that, this will be a life-changing series for you. A few weeks ago, I woke up with some words in my spirit. Has that ever happened to you? It was almost like a poem or a lyric. 
And I just woke up with these words in my spirit. And so I wrote them down immediately. It doesn't happen to me often, by the way. <laughs> so I want to make sure I take advantage of it when it does. Uh, and then I did like all of you would do. I put it on Facebook. So maybe you've already seen this. Um, and we're actually going to do a shortened version of this on a big sign out front. But here's, here's what I woke up with. And I believe it was from the Lord. Our world has changed. Somebody say amen. amen. How we work how we learn, how we play, how we worship, how we live. Next slide. Our world has changed, but take heart. Our God never Amen. will. Amen. Come on. And then the scripture that goes with that is Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same. Somebody say the same. The same yesterday, today, and forever. This pandemic did not take him by surprise. He is not any different now than he was before. The life of Christ, his, his teachings, his parables, his words, they are all just as relevant today as they were 2,000 years ago when he gave them for the first time. And if we'll embrace them, if we'll apply them, Come on. They will change us from the inside out. That's the power of the gospel. Mm, I feel that. It doesn't matter how crazy this year becomes or even next year. Because his words, his character, his teaching, his love for you and me remains. Somebody give God praise for that before we go any further. Come on. <laughs> Heavenly Father. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the beautiful worship that we've experienced in your presence that's here. God, we give you glory and honor. Lord, I thank you so much for your presence. Lord, let your word become alive today and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And let it pierce and go deep. But as it wounds us sometimes, Lord, it also brings healing. That's the mystery and the wonder of the gospel. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So our first parable is probably the most famous parable in the New Testament. Does anybody want to guess what that might be? That's a, that's, that, they're real close. That's not it. We're going to get there, though. I love that one. The seed is also popular. I, I guess it's not as popular as I thought. Come on, think about one that everyone on the planet had probably heard. Okay, I'm going to back up my previous statement. Let's, let's start again. So this is a, a parable no one has heard. But they need to, and you need to. The Good Samaritan. I knew, I knew y'all did. Hey, somebody dust off that Bible that's on your... Was it? Was it? I didn't hear you, brother. <laughs> you just wanted me to say it. So I was coming back from the blessed place this week called Dunkin' Donuts. And I was, um, my coffee, my daily coffee, about 2 o'clock. And I was coming back from the one over here and coming back across the bridge. And there was a car broke down this, 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 this week. Um, oh, we, yeah, yeah, it was Monday. It was Monday. Coming back, 
And I saw this car hood up, guy standing outside. He wasn't at the, he wasn't at the engine. He was kind of talking into the window. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm preaching on the good Samaritan. I better stop. So I, I pulled over. And I rolled the window down and, and I said, hey, you guys okay? He was talking, when I got closer, he was talking to a woman in the, the car. They both were, I think, a part of this vehicle, but he was out for some reason. And I said, are you okay? And, and if looks could kill, you would not have a pastor. <laughs> I thought my oldest daughter could roll her eyes, like <laughs> Olympic style. I mean... This guy beat her. He rolled his eyes like at me, laser beams then into my soul, and he says, we're fine, just like that. And I was like, okay. <laughs> he totally ruined my illustration, my Good Samaritan illustration. Totally ruined it. So I had to dig a little deeper. I have a legit Good Samaritan story going back to my senior year. And how many have a legit Good Samaritan story that you've been a part of, maybe received, or you, yeah, well, you can share yours when you preach, okay? I'm going to share mine. <laughs> I was uh, a senior high school. It was the end of the year. We went on a senior trip to Colorado to ski, Winter Park, Colorado. And we got out there. And, you know, we're young adults. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> We pretty much did what we wanted to do, and, and there was this little uh, bus that went from the condos to the little town to go eat, and so it was at night. Me and my friend had gone to eat, and it was like a school bus anyway, we, and we were on the way back at 11 o'clock, last bus back to the condos, and there was a group of, of older teenagers about our age, maybe early college, in the back, and they were toasted. They were wasted. They had a, evidently had gotten a hold of a fake ID, and all of them were just Three sheets. And so they got into an argument, and two of them began to fight in the back of the bus. And one of them had a schnapps bottle and busted one of the guys over the head, burst, like cut him, blood, you know, a head wound, everywhere, going everywhere. And then they started laughing at him. They started laughing at him. He's bleeding out on the floor, and they're just laughing at him. And I'm looking, you know, I'm like, and I'm, I'm waiting for somebody else. To do something. The bus driver looks like she's 16. You remember the Swiss Miss box? Remember the Swiss? She looked like Swiss Miss. Blonde hair, braids, blue eyes. She's, you know, the little thing. And then she just stops and doesn't move. And I'm looking, I look over to my friend and I'm like, we should. He's looking straight ahead. He will not even look at me. And I'm like, Ugh. so I get up. I go back there and I just grab the guy's jacket. I just pull him out of his seat, grabbed him and just drug him up to the front, put him in the front seat. He's bleeding all over the place. I'm, I, I'm like, do you have a, 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 what do you call it? Yeah, first aid kit. Do you have a first aid kit? And, she's, and I look down and there's a roll of toilet paper. I grab the roll of toilet paper and I just start wrapping him like a mummy around his head, just all the way around. And I'd, I'd had some first aid training as a lifeguard and I put my hand, I'm putting my hand, my hands are, I mean, getting covered in blood. I, I'm like, you need to go to the hospital. And she's like, I don't know. I, I don't even know where that, I'm like, do you know where anything is? <laughs> a clinic, something. And so she starts driving 
Eventually, we get to this clinic, and we go in, and, and, and we, I, I pick the guy up. Not pick him up. I drag him in there, and we're sitting there waiting on somebody to see us. And this righteous anger <laughs> comes. Remember, I'm 17. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Jesus follower, but I'm 17. And I'm like, is this fun for you? He's, I mean, he looks like zombie, you know. And I'm like, is this really fun? And like tomorrow when you've got, when you're hungover and you've got a headache from this gash in your head, I just want you to ask yourself, was that fun? You need Jesus. And I got up and left. <laughs> I got on the bus and I said, let's go. He can, make, he can figure out how to get back. So that wasn't a great illustration, but that was mine, okay? If you didn't grow, even if you didn't grow up in church, you've probably, I thought before I had this crowd, I thought you may have heard of the Good Samaritan, but most people have heard, I'm just kidding, have heard of this parable. Um, my challenge, though, because it is so familiar, that we put all that we've ever heard taught or preached about it or learned about or talked about aside just for a few minutes. And let's see this thing fresh and new this morning in context with where we're living right now. Let's do it. So look, look at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, it's going to be on the screen in the New Living Translation, beginning with verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law, this dude knew it all. All 613 rules and regulations, he had them down, he had them memorized. He was like a lawyer. He stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do? Everybody say do. What should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's a good question. Come on. That's a very good and healthy question, and it's a question that we all have to wrestle with and hopefully have already asked and answered in this room. It's a good question. What should I do to inherit eternal life? His motives probably weren't pure in the way he asked, but it's a good question nonetheless. Verse 26, Jesus replied, what does the law say? What did the Jewish scriptures, the law was the Jewish scriptures, the first five books of our Old Testament, the Pentateuch. What does it say? How do you read it? How do you interpret the law? Verse 27, the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Say neighbor. Now, this expert in religious law not only asked a good question, but he does really well with the answer. He puts two Old Testament scriptures together. And this is actually what Jesus taught. He, he said, you can sum up the whole law with these two things. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's Jesus. And this guy gives that answer, maybe he had heard Jesus teach on it before. I don't know. But he puts Deuteronomy 6.5 together with Levit Leviticus 19.18. And he gives a phenomenal answer. Verse 28, right, Jesus says, do this and you will live. Now, can I just give some friendly advice this morning? When you get a right answer with Jesus... The son of the living God? Take the win. 
and shut up. Do anything. Go roast marshmallows with your friends. Do anything but go back in. But he does. Verse 29, the man wanted to justify. Say justify. The man wanted to justify his actions. What actions? Well, we don't really know. But basically, he wanted to justify the way he lived his life, his beliefs, the way he lived. He wanted to justify his actions. And Jesus about to read his mail. And he asked him, who then is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? So let's deal with the first part of that verse. He said he wanted to justify his actions. We can't get on to him too badly because we do the same thing. We want to justify our actions all the time. We do something stupid, we justify. We say something dumb, borderline offensive, or maybe outright offensive, stick our foot in our mouth, we justify. Come on. Come on. We, we do something illegal like speeding. I mean, not me. We, why are you laughing? We justify. We justify. Look at the screen. We all want to justify our actions because we don't do well with owning the blame. Our knee-jerk reaction when we've done something is to pass the blame, pass the buck, not take responsibility for our actions. And so we justify them. Let me make a real quick point. Important, look at the screen. If your actions are good and righteous, you don't have to justify anything. If what you're doing is right and good, you don't have to open up your mouth. You don't have to justify anything. Your actions will speak for themselves. But if you're constantly having to explain yourself, you're constantly having to justify yourself to your boss, to your friends, to your spouse, to your kids. Something is amiss. Yep. Something is wrong. This is the difference between David, King David, and King Saul. Yep. They both were messed up, y'all. Come on, they both did some crazy, dumb stuff. David never could figure out how to parent. Read the story. And then he committed adultery. Tried to cover it up, and a man was killed because of it. Yet God calls him a man after his own heart? How is that possible? Because he owned, when he sinned, he owned it. I hear Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me, but renew a right spirit. Saul... Not in your life. According to him, he never did anything wrong. He never took responsibility. One of the saddest stories in the Bible. Maybe this expert in religious law had recently done something and he knew was wrong or or something was bothering him. We don't really know. Maybe that something was eating away at him and he wanted to get justified and he was hoping that Jesus would do that for him. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Come on, because we do it all, again, we do it all the time. Lord, I know I was really short with my spouse last night, but I'm really stressed right now at work, really overworked right now. Lord, I know I shouldn't look at that, but it's not hurting anybody. 
Lord, I, I know I shouldn't have cheated on that test, but I usually study and I didn't want it to affect my grade. How about this one? Lord, I know I shouldn't be mean on social media about this election, but these people need to know the truth. And I'm the only one who can tell them. I'll get back to that one in just a minute. But I want to remind us what James, the brother of Jesus, says about this. James 4.17. Remember it is sin. Somebody say sin. sin. Lord, nobody preaches about sin anymore. Come on, there's, there's sin. It is sin to know. To know what you ought to do and then not do it. Or the converse, what you shouldn't do and do it anyway. It is sin. Somebody say sin. Now, we can try to justify our actions all day long, but if our actions don't line up with what we know, we've missed the mark, and that's the definition of sin. And then we need to deal with that, because we all do it. We all have fall short, fall short of the glory of God. We all mess up, but we can't just sweep it under the rugs. Under the rug. We have to take responsibility, and the way we take responsibility for sin in our life is that we confess it. And if somebody is offended, if somebody has been done wrong, you go to that person. Matthew 18. And you, if whatever you need to do to get things right, or at least ask their forgiveness. And then you confess it and you repent. That means turn and don't do it anymore. And then you are forgiven. You receive forgiveness and grace from God. Let's get back to our text. The man wanted to justify himself, his actions. And he says, who is my neighbor. Verse 30, Jesus replied with a story. That's where we get our parable. A parable, if you didn't know, is just a made-up story. This thing never really happened. Jesus made it up on the spot to teach a lesson. That's what he, what he did all the time. He says, a Jewish man, remember that, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Now, this would have been a very realistic scenario for them. They would not have batted an eye at this scenario. This road down, and it literally was down. Jerusalem sits way up high geographically, and, and you travel down from anywhere from, from Jerusalem. That's why they say we're going up Amen. to Zion. Come on, somebody. Anyway, that's a different sermon. This road was very dangerous. You did not travel by yourself in this time period. You just have to remember that. So they would have been like, this guy's an idiot. He should have never done this. Of course he got robbed. Of course he got beat up. Uh, I also want you to take notice that he identifies the man as what? Jewish. Jewish man. Very important. Very important because the story, the, the crowd that Jesus was talking to was Jewish. Jesus was about to obliterate everything that they had been taught about race. Jesus was about to do something here. Verse 31, by chance a priest came along. Sounds like a bad joke, priest, anyway. <laughs> but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road, passed him by. And then a temple assistant, this is another full-time minister in the temple, walked over, and this, at least he looked at him. And then he also passed by on the other side. Now, you may or may not have heard why, because we can't imagine doing that. I don't, I hope. 
I hope you would be walking and see somebody in a ditch and be like, yeah, I'm in a hurry. You know, sometimes that's the way it was taught to us in, in Sunday school or whatever, but it, that's, the reason this could have been is because they thought the guy was dead. They thought maybe he was dead, and if they touched a dead body according to the law, they would be unclean. And they would have to go through all kinds of rituals and time, weeks, to be considered pure again. And so it was more than just that. They thought he might be dead, and if they touched him, they would be unclean. So just keep that in mind. But listen to me very carefully. When your Christianity puts you out of touch with the lost and the hurting, you're no longer following Jesus. You're following a religion. In other words, look at the screen. When we get so busy with ministry that we fail to minister, we've missed the mark. It's sin. When we get so busy, this speaks to me because I'm in full-time ministry. But it doesn't matter. All of us are priests, according to Paul. We believe everybody who has Christ is a minister. And we get so busy that we fail to minister. It's sin. Now, we live in the world and not of it, right? We've heard that. That means we don't participate in the sin that the world offers. But it doesn't mean we remove ourselves from people who desperately need to hear the gospel and need to be ministered to in crisis. Verse 33, then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Now, as soon as Jesus said the word Samaritan, there would have been an audible gasp come up from the crowd, and maybe even some cursing. I'm being completely serious. I want you to, I really want you to feel this in your gut. And so I'm going to say it like this. If Jesus had been teaching this to us today, it would have been sort of like, maybe not exactly, but sort of like him saying, and then a member of ISIS. Did you feel that? Did you feel that? Yeah. To say that Jews were prejudiced against Samaritans would be the greatest understatement in history. A deep hatred existed between the Jews and the Samaritans, both ways. And it dated back for centuries. Some of them didn't even know why. The Jews saw themselves as pure descendants from Abraham, while the Samaritans were a mixed race of Jews and Gentiles that intermarried after the Assyrian exile. To this crowd, to this legal expert, listen to me, a Samaritan being the hero of this story was beyond repulsive and offensive. Just like you were offended when I said ISIS. That's probably crossed a little bit of the line there in what they would have felt. But I wanted you to feel it. I wanted you to feel it. Jesus was about to teach them something brand new. Verse 34, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man in his own donkey 
and took him to an inn where he took care of him. Verse 35, the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bills runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. So what does it look like? What does it take to be a good Samaritan? Because God knows we need some right now. I thought I'd get a little more. The world right now needs good Samaritans. Your school, kids, right now needs good Samaritans. Your workplace, if you're able to be in a workplace, needs good Samaritans. Number one, a willingness to be inconvenienced. Can I just say this one hits me between the eyes? Out of all four that I'm going to give you, this one hits me between the eyes the most. I'm a person of routine. Anybody like me? No, three of you? Okay, well, I'll pray. <laughs> when that routine is broken up, I have to pray. I have to get victory right there. Or it can, be ugly. It can get ugly. I can be like a three-year-old. Come on, somebody. The first thing is a willingness to be inconvenienced, a willingness to stop what you are doing in order to help someone else. That was me on that bus. I just wanted to get back to the condo and go to sleep, get up and go skiing the next day. But this idiot in the back got beat over the head with a snops bottle, and he's bleeding all over the bus. And nobody's doing anything. Number two, a willingness to get your hands dirty. Now, in the case of the Good Samaritan, that's literal. In my case with this guy with the blood, that was literal. Most of the time, it's metaphorical. It's symbolic. When you know, when you help somebody who's in need, you're going to get your hands dirty. You're going to be in their life. And it's going to get on you. Come on. Number three, a willingness to sacrifice. This guy gave up his time, but he also gave up his ride. He put him on his own donkey. Suddenly, he's not riding anymore. He's walking. And the other guy is riding. Under this would also be financial giving and helping someone financially. Sacrifice. Number four, a willingness to follow up and give more if necessary. This is the one that, you know, I'd say a lot of us were willing to jump in for a day or two, come on, and see somebody in crisis, especially a friend or family, we're going to jump in and kind of help even financially or whatever if we possibly can. But then to follow up, to check on them, and then give more if necessary, whether that's our time or money, whatever it is. A willingness to follow up. So those are the four things that Jesus reveals in this story about being a good Samaritan, being a true neighbor to someone in need. Everybody look at me. Those things and being a good Samaritan are actually not the big idea of the parable. We need them. You need to be one. I need to be one. We're believers in Jesus. We need to be a good Samaritan, but that's not the big idea of this parable. The big idea is answering a question. Remember what it was? Who is my neighbor? Let's finish the text. Verse 36. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked 
by bandits. Verse 37, the man, this is the expert in the law. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Notice he wouldn't even say the word Samaritan. He said the one, the guy. The guy, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes. Go and do the same. The priest and the Levite walked by the same scene as the Samaritan. They saw a human. They saw a victim. They saw the wounds. They saw the blood. They saw the need. But they avoided the man by going to the other side of the road for whatever reason, for whatever reason. There were cultural, racial, status, and convenience issues for each of the men, all three, who passed by. All of that was in play. The Samaritan did not stop because he was a Jew or a Gentile. The Samaritan stopped because he saw himself. That's where compassion begins. He knew that it could very well be him in that ditch. He knew that it very well could be him in that ditch one day needing help. We're never going to heal injustice or racial issues in the church, in our culture, in our country until we see the wounded, the offended, those who have suffered as ourselves. In other words, listen, an injustice to any human, any, and I mean any human, is an injustice to me. Here's our big idea. Everyone is my neighbor. Even the people I've been taught to despise. Oh, pastor, pastor, I haven't been taught to despise any, not in so many words. Church, we're heading into the most divisive election in American history. We're being overwhelmed with TV commercials, dear God. If it weren't so serious, it would be a little bit comical. You get one commercial that it looks, the the one candidate is painted as the devil. Literally, they use black surrounding. It's like blurred. Their eyes are almost red, you know. And then the very next commercial, they are angelic and heroes. But we have a choice to make as believers, as followers of Jesus. Y'all think you know where I'm going with this, but it's not a choice about who you vote for. You have that choice too. And you've got to work through that with fear and trembling. Amen. You've got to do that as close to the word of God as you can. Amen. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how we treat and respond to people who believe differently than you. People who say they love Jesus but believe differently, look differently, maybe even act differently than you. 
and it's not easy. Scroll, scroll, scroll. It's not easy. Come on, I have my strong opinions too. You think I'm real neutral because that's the way I have to preach about politics because I want my church to look. I, if, my, if, if I looked out here and saw everybody look just like me, I would, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I'll just move on. I have my strong opinions just like you do, but how I treat my neighbor. And now we know everyone is my neighbor. How I treat them, how I treat them, how I treat them is even more important than my politics and my world view. I know, I know. I know why that wasn't a, a, a thunderous applause, because you're wrestling with that statement. You may even disagree, but I challenge you to read the gospel again. Listen very closely, and I'm almost finished. This whole cancel culture thing, it's of the devil. The idea that I would cancel somebody out of my life because they disagree one time. The idea that I would cancel them out of my life and never even listen to anything that they might say that might be good, might be helpful because of a disagreement. That is not only immature, it's dangerous. Amen. I want to close with one thought, one word. If you don't remember anything else about this sermon, I want you to take this word with you and chew on it, pray about it, and hopefully apply it. Because if you will, it'll change every relationship in your life. One word, one word. This word, I believe, is the cure. This word, one word, is the answer, I believe, to this cancel culture that we live in. Over the course of this pandemic, this one word has kept coming back up in my spirit, in my sermons, in my relationships with the staff, with, he, with you guys, with, with everything. It seems this one word in my prayer time just keeps coming back up. I believe with everything inside of me that the key to everything I've been preaching today is understanding and embracing humility. Yes. Humility. Humility is not having a bad self-esteem. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is thinking about the other person, what they might have been through, how they might have been raised, what kind of a year they've had, what, what kind of a situation they're in, what kind of marriage they're living in. Humility is taking the high road when you desperately want to go low. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 8, he says, finally, all of you, all of you, speaking to Christians, the world's not going to do this, by the way. You know that, right? You can't be like, well, he started it. Your 10-year-old says that. You can't. All of you be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted. Here's our word. And keep a humble attitude 
the key to being a good Samaritan, the key to being a good Christian, the key to being a good husband, the key to being a good wife, a good parent, a good kid, humility. Keeping a humble attitude. And I know that's a tough word, but I want to encourage you. You can do this because you have Christ living in you. You have the power of the Holy Spirit to strengthen you. When you desperately want to <clears throat> spew back, let humility override. Take the high road. If you ask him, he will answer this prayer. And it's a daily prayer. The worship team is coming. And as they do, I want to, to tell you something from my heart. This past week, I had the privilege, and it is a privilege, it was a privilege to go off by myself at a private spiritual retreat. I try to do it once a year. It doesn't always work out went to the mountains and I was overwhelmed with the idea and thought that I could be your pastor. I am so humbled and so blessed and the love that the Lord has given me for you and that's, that's what's happened. It's a grace is overwhelming and I want this for you and your family and your work and your school so, so bad. Everyone is my neighbor. Everyone is your neighbor. The worship team is coming now. Worship with them and then I'll just stick around. I'll close at the end.
be bold. Thank you, Lord. You say, Pastor Allen, I'm saved. I know that Jesus resides in my heart, but this, what you preach today about humility, and I need help with that. Raise your hand quickly all over the room. Yes, yes, yes. Father, in Jesus' name, by the power of your spirit, I think if we're, we were all honest, we would all raise our hand and know that there are times when we don't want to take the high road and we don't. We don't choose humility. We choose pride. So Lord, do a work in my heart. That's where it begins. Do a work in my heart. Do a work in my church. Every person under the sound of my voice who will receive this, Lord, give power and grace. It's grace. It's grace. It's all about grace. Grace to be holy, grace to choose humility, grace to take the high road, grace to be your disciple and apprentice, not bowing to religion, not bowing to legalism, but to your name. We give you glory and honor for all these things in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen and amen. Give him praise one more time. Come on, it's just been good today. Come on, give him praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many are headed out of town today or this week? Not too many. I figured all of you, because we had such a big crowd for this week, I figured everybody was headed out the door. Well, if you are, be careful. Have a wonderful time. If not, have a great staycation or work. Whatever you're doing, I love you, church. Have a great day. Come back for next week, part two. If you were challenged and or encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you find us. To experience other messages, videos, and live events, visit us online at newlifecanton.com. And again, thank you for listening to the New Life Church Podcast.